Welcome to Spend, Donate, Invest, a podcast at the intersection of social justice and personal finance. Let's talk about how we can spend, donate, and invest more in line with our values. Today's letter is about an argument that I think we can all relate to. Here's the letter. Last weekend, my partner and I were out walking our dog, and I gave a guy $20. He had a sign that said he'd had a bad year and he needed help. He was in pretty bad shape, and the way I saw it, we would have just wasted the money on ordering lattes on Postmates. But my partner flipped out. He said the guy would blow the money on alcohol and drugs and that 20 bucks won't make any sustainable change. What do you think? Ah, Okay. (laughs) This isn't a relationship advice show for now. (laughs) So... I'll refrain, no matter how much I'm bursting at the seams, from understanding why your partner flipped out on you about how you decided to spend this money. But for now, we are here to discuss how we donate, how we donate, spend, and invest in ways that make this world a little better. (laughs) So the fundamental debate you're having is whether or not giving a person with a cardboard sign $20 will make any quote, sustainable change, as your partner calls it. Your partner is predicting that the guy will blow the money on alcohol and drugs. So we have a long history of not trusting poor people to handle money and an even longer history of over-trusting that rich people know what to do with money. It's a story as old as time. And As a result, we've built in a lot of middlemen and a lot of middle steps to protect the money from being blown. Not to protect the people who actually need the help, but to protect the money. That's why we usually don't just give hurricane survivors a check to figure out how to get their lives back on track. We give them a pre-constructed shelter that has specified dimensions that weren't even designed locally based on an understanding of what's most appropriate for that neighborhood, let alone that specific family. Uh, We typically don't give the village members $500 to just figure out how to build a well that fits their cultural and geographic needs. We spend $3,000 building a well in Sweden, and then we hope that the villagers can adapt it to their needs in their developing country. So not only do we provide homes and wells and textbooks that don't fit the local needs, we've also added a lot of extra costs by adding all of these middlemen. And here's the ironic part. We know that when we just give people the money directly, we reduce the time they have to wait They get to keep all of the money we intended for them without losing it to the middlemen. And they're able to apply the money to their lives with a surgeon's accuracy for how they need and want to use it. So if you really want to help someone, just give them the money. To be honest, I I think there's also an odd moral hand-wringing that we need to address here. So this concern that the guy with the cardboard sign will use some or all of the money to buy drugs and alcohol. So what? Is your partner sure that poor people use more drugs and alcohol than rich people? 
based on my observations, <laughs> occupying both types of spaces, I would bet money that's not the case at all. Or is his point that poor people shouldn't be buying drugs and alcohol because they aren't financially secure? Why not? So are drugs and alcohol the reward for having a financial cushion? What else are the rewards? Cigarettes? Caffeine? Sweets? Soda? Art? I'm trying to really draw out this line of thinking because I think sometimes these beliefs are so hardwired within us without ever really questioning them and thinking through them out loud. I don't know your partner, but when I hear phrases like, that won't create sustainable change, I can't help but wonder if that's really and truly what he's worried about. If a person's on fire, you pour some water on them. And then you discuss how we can prevent this person from catching on fire again. You don't stand there observing the flames and say, well, we can't pour water on him again because he'll just catch on fire again next summer. It's both. This is how we help people in crisis. We put out the fire and we also try to reinforce the person so they don't catch on fire again. We try to prevent the next fire. Maybe we look at the greater context to find out why this person keeps catching on fire. Are they located next to a restaurant that dumps its toxic trash in the backyard of their home? Is it downwind from an explosive manufacturer? You get my point. You don't stand there and debate these things while a person's on fire. So have your partner listen to this episode and just keep talking it out. Sometimes with these sorts of beliefs, I, I think that we haven't really brought them up to the surface, exposed them to oxygen, discussed them, really looked at them under the light. Sometimes when we do this, we realize pretty quickly wait, I don't even believe that. So have the conversations. And for what it's worth, I could imagine you two being a great team to fight injustices because there's space for both the short-term firefighting as well as the systemic changes. Just make sure that your partner is ready to do the deep work, not just, you know, standing on the sidelines, tearing down your efforts. So... What do you think? Have you found other ways to tackle this quandary? Or do you have a different question? If you ever have a question about how you spend, donate, or invest, or anything else related to doing good with your money, send it in and I'll do the research, ask experts, and share what I find out. Check out the show notes for the email address to send in your questions. If you think there should be more conversations like this, please write a review for this podcast on iTunes. This is the biggest support you can provide this podcast. If you're too busy, please just leave a rating. And of course, please share this episode with anyone who you think might find it interesting. Interesting.